Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Franz Dina has been a major influence on global research into the system of Reiki since the early 2000s. His practical understanding of the Japanese influence on the system have allowed students around the world to connect deeply with this practice. Franz is a co-founder of the International House of Reiki and Shimbumi International Reiki Association. He co-authored with Brownen Logan, the critically acclaimed book, The Reiki Sourcebook, The Japanese Art of Reiki, A to Z Reiki Pocketbook, and Your Reiki Treatment. His own books are The Inner Heart of Reiki, Rediscovering You True Self, Reiki Insights, and his new book, The Way of Reiki, The Inner Teachings of Mikao Usui, just came out. Franz has been studying since 2012 with Takeda, I'm, I'm going to try, Hakusui Ajari, a Japanese priest. Did I get that even close? You, you did. You did. You're doing good. Okay. Okay. Welcome, Franz. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Really excited. So I've, I've had someone a while ago on to talk about Reiki. So if we could start kind of with what exactly is Reiki? Because I usually think about it as just energy healing, but it's clearly not that simple based on this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These days when, when people talk about Reiki, they think energy healing or hands-on healing. But traditionally, the word Reiki was pointing to your own true nature, your essence, your inner great bright light. And there were very specific practices within the system of Reiki to help you really lay bare that own inner luminosity. So how did we get away from that? What was the movement away from turning inward to someone else helping us to do that healing? I think if we look at a lot of these teachings coming from the East, you know, even yoga today, you know, if you type in yoga on Instagram, it looks more like uh, acrobatics. And even within yoga often these days, you hardly hear about uh, self-awakening, you know, it's more about doing postures. I think it's a unfortunate uh, tendency in many of these traditions that we've moved so outwards, unfortunate. Yeah, it seems like, sadly, when the West gets their hands on things, oftentimes they distort the true meaning, the true essence of the practice or the teachings. Yeah, I think so. I, th I think definitely also now there is a big movement also within the system of Reiki and yoga to really turn it back around again. And because even today I was reading in the newspaper uh, that there's so many people here in Holland, for example, with depression, burnout. So I think a lot of people are starting to look inwards again. So who was Macau Usui? And what was the style of Reiki that was practiced? I mean, was this sort of the originator of Reiki? Yeah, he was the founder of the system of Reiki, and he was a lay Buddhist monk. And what was very common at that time within uh, Japan around late 1800s, beginning of 1900s, when the system of Reiki was created, there were many people trying to 
make Japanese esoteric teachings more available for like a shopkeeper, a farmer, someone who was not a monk or a nun, and yet wanted to really lay bare their own inner happiness and joy. And how did he do that? Can you can you take us through? I know you talk about a lot of this in the book, but this concept of kanji. So in a way, how Mikusui did this in Japan at that time, for example, Mikusui was uh, going into the mountains. He did a very specific 21 day practice there. And it's not something like we think, oh, 21 days is not that much, but these practices still exist. They're very, very difficult. You practice about 20 to 21 hours a day, chanting, meditation, in a cave, uh, you only sleep like three hours a night. And you do that uh, often with eating hardly anything or drinking hardly anything. It's like the intake is brought back to minimum, minimum, minimum. So before we can actually do those three days practice, you have to have done a lot of training before that. So by actually looking that he was already sitting on his mountaintop for 21 days, we know that for years he's been already practicing and studying and having that direct experience as much as they could of that true nature, that inner luminosity within themselves. So it, it sounds a bit like a sensory deprivation experience. Actually, Yes and no. In, in Japan, actually, what they say, you leave all your senses wide open, but you are trying to stay in that wide open space without getting caught up what you see, taste, feel, and sense. Mm. There's a wonderful quote by a Zen master I love using, and it's, uh, you leave your front door open, and you leave the back door open, the thoughts come in, and in the middle, don't serve them tea. <laughs> you just let them go. You just let him go, but Good. easier said than done, right? Right, <laughs> right. So, so when he did this, what did he find happened? Uh, he found that he found a very, almost like that luminosity within himself. Mm -hmm. And this happened traditionally when the when we let go of the ego, or in other words, when we can actually not find the I anymore. So really that unification, having a very direct unification with all that is, or with the universe, mm -hmm. not just in our mind, but actually like the yogis or yoginis, that they have this really direct experience. And when that happens, actually, a lot of energy starts to emanate from you. And then you can actually start to help people with that energy, either hands-on healing or just sitting with them. And that started to trigger uh, more like hands-on healing in a way. So, okay. So the it, it sounds to me like the practice that he went through was to get in touch with his own luminosity, his own light. Absolutely. And then once he was in touch with his own light, he could then use his light, his energy to help move others light and energy. Yeah. In a way, it's a little bit like people these days, like, for example, Thich Nhat Hanh or Dalai Lama, when they do these really extensive practices. And if you, I'm not sure if you ever met the Dalai Lama, but when you meet like people like the Dalai Lama, the, the, the light and the energy and the, the peacefulness is just amazing, just mm. emanating from them. It sounds a little bit like, I don't know if you've read any of Ram Dass's 
work. Yeah, yeah. But his guru in India that he first met, and I forget the name, it sounded like there was a similar experience there, like just sitting in the presence of, yeah, in and of itself made you feel enlightened or connected or, you know, to yourself, to source, what, whatever it was. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, traditionally we can see very common threat through the yogis in India or China or Japan or shamanistic practices where these yogis or yoginis or these teachers really went through their own purification process and then to help other people and then taught specific methods and structures to actually for people so that they could find their own inner luminosity again. So how does that work then with someone practicing? It sounds like, and I believe that this should be kind of in, in a lot of work when you're working with other people and you're in their energy space. And I want to talk a little bit about energy in a minute that you should have done your own work on yourself in some capacity. Oh, I, I agree. 500%. <laughs> and I do worry that a lot of people step into the healing space before. And I, I'm not saying you have to be completely healed because I don't no. believe that's ever possible, but I do believe you have to be engaging in your own work around healing. And I wonder how that could impact those who are in the space, but haven't really looked inside themselves. Yeah, I mean, for example, when I first started the system of Reiki, then it, it was very much like, oh, you just go out and do hands-on healing. And I lived in India at that time and met all these local healers, and their the quality of their energy was way beyond what I could do. Like, and you would be in their presence, and there, there was a, a depth, a, a, an insight, a clarity, the movement of energy was beyond words. And I thought, wow, how do they do it? And so when I talked to these teachers, practitioners, healers, they all talked about their own very dedicated meditation practice. And I go, wow, why isn't that in the system of Reiki? And then when I went to Japan, I rediscovered that it actually traditionally was within the system of Reiki, but a lot of teachers left it out. And, you know, now, for example, some teachers, even in Japan, they say, oh, just surrender. But we all know just surrender is not so easy, right? Mm -hmm. we, we can say that just surrender, but if my mind is still being distracted by all sorts of shit, then it's very difficult to surrender. So we need methods to really... Uh, help us to actually realize this really inner luminosity as much as we can at that moment in time. So is meditation really the way to it? Are there other ways of getting in touch through this perspective? Are there other ways of getting in touch with that inner luminosity? Yeah, I mean, it's, for example, there are in the system of Reiki traditionally, uh, very specific chanting. Uh, there's also hands-on healing. But even chanting and hands-on healing, we should see it from a meditation space uh, these days. And again, it's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, a lot of people, they go to bed, they put their hands on themselves. I'm going to do hands-on healing. Two minutes later, they fall asleep. And then the next day, they said, oh, I did some really good hands-on healing on myself. No, you were asleep. We have to also be <laughs> brutally 
honest with ourselves you know right. it's, uh, it's the same like oh i'm meditating and two minutes later i fall asleep and then you say that was a great meditation no you were actually sleeping mm -hmm. <laughs> and sleeping not meditating it's something very different right and that doesn't mean you don't need to sleep like sometimes when you go into a meditation what your body needs is really that yeah a, a different type of rest yeah a different type of rest but we should not mistake sleeping for meditation it's something exactly quite yeah. right okay so kanji is that finding your inner luminosity the word kanji is actually a word for Japanese writing. The more we look at these old writings, what was really interesting, for example, that the old writing of Japan came from China and if we, have, we just have the letter A, but for there they have a very specific kanji and it has like 20, 30, 40 different meanings. And for example, in the kanji of Reiki, the word Reiki, we see, for example, many hidden teachings like let it rain. There is like three little bowls within it so that you have to nurture your body, your energy and your mind. So uh, all of these are kind of hidden teachings within a lot of the Japanese writing and structure of it as well. Yeah, there are a lot of little symbols in this book that were, it was really fascinating to see how things were sort of paired together too. Like you talk about, I loved this quote, right? The the kanji of ki, we can see rice and steam. So there's yeah. two symbols together. Rice is nutrition. It nourishes us and nurtures us. But we also see steam. How do we get steam from rice? We have to cook rice because raw rice is not nutritious. And of course, difficult to digest. We need fire. And so it just talks about how it really illuminates. We're using that word a lot today. How all of these pieces are so interconnected. Yeah. For example, ki or what we call an energy or prana or chi. Traditionally, that was symbolized by rice. And that rice was very nutritious. Like in Holland, we eat potatoes. But in, in the, <laughs> Here we in, do too. With the, with the side yeah. of meat, I think. Or potatoes and yeah. meat. But in Japan, traditionally, it was rice. And yeah, rice, we cannot raw. So we have to cook it. And we have to put the fire underneath the pot. And normally... This is also very symbolic from our inner energy, right? Our inner ki, our inner prana or chi. Normally our fire is very high up in the body. So for example, then I get angry, my face get red. So where I'm worried, my face also, my head get really hot. And that means the fire is above the rise, above the bowl. And therefore, when I do deep breathing into my center, just below my belly button, for example, then I'm bringing that fire more underneath the bowl. And the bowl is really that belly, the, the, the inner structure of the inner organs, what normally is almost like very frozen, right? If we're made up are more than 70% of water, and when we have a lot of anger and worry, we become very frozen. We know it already. We can feel it physically in our body. We feel very stuck and very... Uh, so when we use that fire, that inner fire, through certain practices, we heat up that kind of frozen water, so to speak, mm. that ice cubey kind of feeling so that we can flow more through life instead of hitting like this always ice cube against ice cube. 
And when we flow more through life, we, we feel much more lighter, we feel happier, everything flows more. The we energy the moves, right? Energy. The energy moves. So, yeah. Got it. Okay. So there's a quote in the book, the big scale of life precept is the activity of the whole universe, which naturally ripens a tree's life, a person's life, and the life of all sentient beings. This is the most important meaning of precepts. You talk a lot about precepts in the book. Yeah. What does this look like in Reiki and in life? So the precepts in the system of Reiki is do not anger, do not worry, be grateful, be true to your way and your being and be compassionate to yourself and others. And ultimately, that is really the quality of your inner bright light. Within your inner luminosity, your true nature, there is no anger, there is no worry. All that is like, for example, I saw you drink some liquid. Uh, water is wet, right? We cannot take wetness out of water. So the quality of water is wet. The quality of your inner luminosity, your bright light, is being grateful, is being true to your way and your being, and is being compassionate. So the more we let go of this anger and worry in our life, automatically this love and kindness comes forward. And it's a love and kindness what doesn't change according to circumstances. You know, normally say we have a relationship and, and I'm being really kind to you and suddenly you say something and then suddenly for months I'm not being kind to you because it changes according to circumstances. But when we really tap into that inner luminosity, then that compassion doesn't change according to circumstances. It's uh, And that traditionally in all these teachings, really, if you look at Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism, right. they all talk about the same thing, love and kindness. Mm -hmm. This whole conversation, you know, I think really speaks to even my kind of preconceived notions about what Reiki is, because my exposure to it has been minimal. But when when I've I have had Reiki done on me before and I've always left being like, yeah, I don't know what that was. Like, I didn't feel <laughs> anything happen. Someone put their hands over me. They said they moved energy. I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I have no clue. And so I've, I've been actually, frankly, a little bit skeptical about it. What does this do? What is, what is healing about this? Well, I mean, I think this is the tricky part, you know, and I think I, I need to come back to what you say already. These days, a lot of people, they do a course, they go out and do some healing. Right. They're like, I got my level two Reiki certification. Yeah. And, and yet their own inequality is not light enough at that moment in time to actually do proper healing, you know, or, or helping someone. So for example, the other day, uh, I got this guy in for a treatment and he travels for his work around the world, Asia, America. And he says, oh, he had lots of Reiki treatment. So after my treatment, he goes, I don't know what just happened, but I've never felt anything like this in a Reiki treatment. He said, it was so profound, so deep. He said, I could feel everything moving in my body. He said, it's the first time. He said, I like Reiki, but I like it even more now. He said, it's amazing. So, and I, I hate saying this, you know, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but it gives me a really good viewpoint that sometimes when we step in going to do a Reiki course to do some healing on other people, actually the motivation is all not in the right way. We actually need first to practice 
the system of Reiki for ourselves to lay bare our luminosity. And then the side effect of that is that we can help other people. And it's very obvious. I am on some forums here and there. And then you, you see people, you know, they say, oh, I've done Reiki too. I'm now a practitioner, but it's not working, or I feel really overwhelmed, or I'm, I'm taking on people's energy. It feels really bad, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I think, well, why are you starting? Why not first work on yourself? And then if I say, are you doing the meditation practices? Are you doing the chanting? Do you contemplate the precepts? And I go, what? No, I've never heard of it. <laughs> wow. This, this episode is going to be so helpful, I think, for my listeners who are contemplating this or thinking, you know, I think so many people right now are looking for different ways to heal. And I think energy healing has really kind of en vogue right now to say you're doing some energy healing or you are going, you have your energy healer, you're going to an energy healer. You say this in the book, Reiki is not just being an energy practice, but that, but that energy follows the mind. Yeah. And this is where I actually, not to, not to toot my therapy horn, but this is where I think in so many ways, pieces fit together, right? Like if you're doing a Reiki practice with yourself or someone else, then you can also move energy by what your mind is doing, by what you're feeding it, right? I mean, absolutely. And, and those two would work beautifully together. I don't know how you do one without the other. Is that sort of what the intention was around talking about it in that way? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, for example, say I'm doing hands-on healing on someone and I'm thinking about yesterday, or I'm thinking about what am I going to eat tonight, then my mind is distracted. Automatically, my energy is also distracted. I mean, it's, it's very obvious that our mind affects our energy. Uh, our mind affects the body. You know, if I'm, if I'm angry in my mind, we can see it already constrict my energy. The way I walk is already different. So it's very obvious. But a lot of, unfortunately, in a lot of healing practices these days, it's not taught about. It's just, oh, you just do, you just kind of surrender and you do hands-on healing. And then the people watch television or they keep chatting <laughs> to each other or they, right, they're they, checking you know, their text messages. That's it. And the mind is really confused and all over the place. Then that energy is also all over the place. So the first point of call is really how can we control our own mind, you know, and the more we control our own mind, then the quality of energy is very, 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 very different. And then what does your practice look like? So you bring someone in and they, I mean, my experience has been, I've been, I've done distance and hands-on. Yeah. And it just feels like someone moves their hands. Again, this <laughs> is my very probably unprofessional experience, but no, no, I, I'm not saying the people who did it were unprofessional at all, yeah. but I'm just saying like in my, in my experience, that's all I was, it felt like someone was just moving their hands around for me. Yeah. So there is actually a couple of different things. And that is a, the person who is performing the hands-on healing needs to be mentally and energetically in the right state. And so for me, for example, if you come in, the first thing I actually ask you is when you lay down, it's okay, you set the intent that you want to heal yourself. Mm. And so that already triggers for you an opening. Like if I want to pour something in a glass, the glass needs to be empty. 
If it's full, then I cannot pour anything in it. So as much as possible to receive healing, I need to empty myself out, empty myself out of worry or uh, fear or all sorts of expectations, for example. And so, so if, you have to notice that you feel that before you can empty yourself out of it, right? I, absolutely. That This is, yeah, you, if we don't notice it, you know, sometimes I always say, sometimes we're so distracted that we even don't know that we're distracted. So first we have to notice it. And then the practitioner as much as possible is not just your hands. And this is, for me, is really, the hands are almost like a byproduct uh, is really your state of mind. So if I would do a treatment on you, then my state of mind will as much as possible as I can at that moment, really feel this very, very deep interconnectedness with you. Mm -hmm. And it might even feel there is no you, there is no me, mm -hmm. there is just a wide open state where therefore the energy is just so bright and luminous. But if we don't know if I feel I'm afraid to feel that interconnectedness because my client has cancer and we or we put a protection over ourselves, then it's like a wall between me and my client, then there is already a distance and therefore healing has not its full potential. It sounds like there's like a merger of energy in a way and that you're... It, it real this is why your energy is so important is because you're if you're going to be merging with theirs and help helping to use your energy to heal yours has to be luminous indeed so for example some years ago i was in america and i was uh, doing some brainwave study so i had a client hooked up on a computer i was hooked up on a computer and i was doing hands-on healing and to see what was kind of happened and I did this uh, one year and then two years later, I did it again. And there the, was a couple of very interesting facts. A, when for myself, I really went what often people call that yoga nidra state of mind, that really open, wide, spacious state of mind. The brain waves of the other person laid down started to really match mine. It, it became really like in unison. Mm. And then, so two years later, I did it again. And because in those two years I'd been practicing and the woman who was doing this research, she said, wow, you have changed, you know, your energy is way off the charts now. And it's, it's so much more profound. And so this is that there needs to be a progression, but that can only happen when we do the meditation practices, a lot of healing on ourselves. It's a little bit like if I want to run a marathon, I cannot just do a weekend class and then run a marathon. I need to train for it, right? I tried that once. <laughs> I, I tried a ten. I tried a ten k without practice. It wasn't a smart move. <laughs> no, I bet. <laughs> so I mean, this is the same kind of thing. Or I, I can't make a Michelin star meal if I don't even know how to cook. Right. So you can't you know, boil it, water. Absolutely. You know, you, so there, there needs to be a progression in our practice in the more we practice for ourselves, then the healing needs to deepen for yourself and for other people. And if that is not the case, then we have to question our own personal practice.
So when you go into someone's energy field, what do you see or do you feel or how do, how do you experience that? And then what do you do with it? Really the best way to do it. And this is where we see again in a lot of the traditions, uh, healing traditions, no matter if we look at yoga or Western alchemy or Buddhism or Christianity, we often see a symbol of the sun or the moon and the sun just shines. The moon just shines as well. So often we as uh, confused human beings, we like to do things. We like to stimulate the energy and move it. But then we're so busy in our mind that the energy is also really distracted. So the best way is actually to go into this really deep, very deep state of mind where it feels like you're just like the sun and you just let it shine. And then the mm. person who is laying down takes from that whatever they need. You know, I always say, I don't even know what I need. If I really honestly think, you know, I, I just thought I needed that chocolate, but now I think back, maybe not. Mm -hmm. So if I don't know what I need, how the hell do I know what other people need? Right. So therefore the best way is to really just, just let it shine. Just let it rain this beautiful energy of love and compassion of luminosity. And ultimately it's that non-dual light, right? The, the sun doesn't judge and say, oh, you've been bad, you get one ray and you've been good, you get 20 rays. So, uh, but that is really difficult because normally the, again, the I, the ego gets involved and say, oh, but I can see this and I need to take that out or I need to put this in or I feel this and this means that and I I can open your chakra or I can do this. It's all I-based. It's all ego-based. And then uh, the more it's ego-based, the more our actually that energy is really being confined like, a, like an ice cube. Wow. First of all, I'm kind of jealous that you have a job where you get to live in that meditative state all the time. <laughs> I was just uh, walking today with a friend and she said, Franz, you really have a great job. And I said, but I, I wouldn't even call it a job. I said, I, I just, I, yeah, I've been doing this now for 25 years and I'm, I'm very lucky. Yes. Yeah. Cause I think sometimes when I come out of a meditation, that's been like a very deep meditation where I feel like I've, I'm not in my body. And then I come back into my body. I'm always like, oh. <laughs> can't, can't stay there. That that felt a lot better to me. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Like, and you feel like so expansive and big and like yeah. not confined. And um, so you you said you we need to know the destination of our true selves. So how does Reiki help people find that destination? I come to you. I lay on the table or you do a distance healing mm -hmm. with me, which I'm, I'm assuming is the same thing. You just go in, you yeah. shine your light, your energy, you direct it where it needs to go maybe. Um, but how does Reiki then, how does that translate to helping people know their true selves? If you lay down and for most of us, we have kind of mislaid our true self, right? Our our happiness, our joy, our playfulness, we've mislaid it somewhere. Sometimes we even say that light is not even there anymore. Of course it's there. Now imagine that I've put it somewhere. Imagine this is my apartment and I've put it somewhere in the cupboard over there. 
and you come as a practitioner and your light is only like a candle, then that, that light of the candle doesn't reach the cupboard. So it was very difficult then to find my light again. But if you come in with a big floodlight, then that light might actually reach the cupboard and I go, oh, there is my light. And if I have that maybe once this direct experience, like this weekend I was teaching a Reiki one course and this, this one guy said, oh, I, I just felt I was coming home in my own self again. It felt so, just what you said, it felt so wide and expanded. It felt so free. And when we have a taste of that, then we have the address and we go, oh, this is where I want to go to. And if I want to go and visit you, the first thing I need to do is to have your address because else I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get there. So if I then have that address, that taste, then I can do some practices and then I'm knowing if I'm on the right path or not. Well, you talk about this, right? This means that by knowing my destination, I can create a straight path towards the destination. None of us know when our time to die will come. So better get straight to our destination of our true self. Because if we die, it is too late to practice. And at the moment of death, we will have our biggest test ever. This, this I loved. Can we die without anger and worry? Can we die being grateful for everything in our life? Can we die being true to our way and, and our being? Can we die in a compassionate way? And I would also argue, can we live that same way that we hope to die? Well, absolutely. So, so if, we, uh, if we know how to die that way, then we're truly living, right? Mm. Then we're truly living. Mm -hmm. Because then, so my dad died uh, 21 years ago and, and he died with a lot of fear and worry and he still had all this stuff. And I could see when he was dying, you know, it was not easy. And then I worked also with a Taoist teacher for 12 years. And when she was dying, I, I, she gave me the biggest lesson. Two days before she died, I saw her. And I, I go, man, this is the biggest lesson she's given me. I want to die like that. And, you know, we don't know. A friend of mine just told me that another friend of hers was 36 and just dropped dead, heart attack. Healthy sports person, had no issues, nothing. So we don't know, right? We we think we live till we're 80 or 90 or 70, mm -hmm. but we definitely do not know. So I think this is also, I go very regular for a massage or acupuncture or a Reiki session. And some people say, oh, Franz, do you have a muscle pain or other pain? No, I, I go as a preventative, mm -hmm. right? And nowadays we go for healing when we actually feel depressed, stressed, have uh, knots in our muscles, and then, then we go to some healing, and then we feel right. better, then we stop doing anything. And it's actually a really wrong way of looking at it. We have to make sure that we eat healthy, that we exercise, that we go for massage, Reiki, acupuncture on a regular basis, so that we feel strong that actually the less we do get sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just did a um, sound immersion, which was amazing. And someone said to me, why'd you go? And I was like, because I wanted to experience what it feels like to do that and see if it felt like it could be useful. You know, I like to try things out here before I recommend them to see if I think <laughs> yeah, they'll be absolutely. useful. And 
And it was fascinating and it felt profound. And I want to expose people to different ways of thinking about healing. But this today, for me, opened, opened up my eyes in so many ways. And I'm really grateful to have had this conversation. I feel like it really clarified for me if I went to a Reiki practitioner, some of the questions I would want to know and ask <laughs> in yes, terms absolutely. of what they've done to really prepare to do the hands-on yeah. the hands-on healing work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and in a way, as, as we go there and we pay, we should ask. Like, as I said, I like acupuncture and I moved to this town five years ago. So I was looking around and I found this first acupuncturist and he was just, sticking the needles in every time in exactly the same spot it was almost like very yeah whatever mm -hmm. and then and i go like this is just basic acupuncture it doesn't really do anything you know and then we have the same with massage therapies you know some are just like well fluff 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 right but if you get a good now i finally have found a good massage therapist man i mean she knows exactly the finer points it really looks each time it's different because each time my body mind and energy is different and you know so there's a definitely a very big quality in practitioners mhm mm mhm mm well franz thank you so much this was so enlightening your new book is out the way of reiki and you have a, an amazing website. Tell us about that too. So people can find you and your teachings and you do distance healing for those who don't live in Amsterdam where you are. <laughs> yeah, I teach also all around the world. So I teach in America, the UK, Australia, Japan, you name it. Wow. Europe. Uh, so yeah, my website is uh, www ihreiki.com so ih stand for international house so ihreiki.com there's lots of articles lots of blogs lots of videos lots of teachings all sorts of stuff so yeah check it out thank you so much for your time today it's nighttime where you are right it is uh, almost 8 p.m but okay, I don't okay. <laughs> it's not too bad well, thank you for, for spending your night with us. I'm, I'm very grateful. And this the book in combination with this interview today will really help people fully understand, you know, what is Reiki. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.